Moses is the two copies of the Decalogue, which is another way of saying the Ten Commandments. He has Moses deposit those two copies there in the Ark of the Covenant. The reason God used a suzerain vassal treaty model, the reason he patterned the law after the suzerain vassal treaty model, is not because he intended to elevate the pagan practices of godless kings, is because he's God. And he took what was understandable to the Israelites and he changed it. He took what was understandable to them in that era, in that time period, and he used it as a teaching aid. He used it to instruct them so that they would understand what he was doing in the Mosaic Law, in the Mosaic Covenant. And then the last part of the fourth element of the treaty, of a suzerain vassal treaty, is the regular reading. Each nation in the treaty would be required to read the treaty regularly. And so God does something similar with the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 through 13. The priests were required to publicly read the treaty, the law, the Mosaic Law, before the nation. They were required to do that every seventh year at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's by way of review. That's, that's what we saw last time. The new elements that I want you to see today begin with element number five, which are the witnesses. The witnesses to any legal document are important. And the ancients would call on their gods, on their pagan gods, as witnesses for their treaties. The living God does something very different. The living God calls his creation as the witnesses. We see this in the law, like in Deuteronomy 30. Please turn there to Deuteronomy 30 in your Bibles. Remember, Deuteronomy is the restatement of the law. Moses writes Deuteronomy just before the people, the next generation enters into the land, and it restates the Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. Moses says this. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments. His commandments, His statutes, His judgments. That's another way of saying the law. That's another way of saying the Mosaic Covenant. Keep reading, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. Verse 17 of chapter 30. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land which you're, where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. Now Moses calls the witnesses. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, Moses says, that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Here Moses calls the witnesses to the Mosaic Covenant. 
The witnesses are the heavens and the earth. The witnesses are the entire creation, in other words. Moses is personifying heavens and earth as witnesses. Witnesses who observed the parties enter into the treaty. Witnesses who observed the parties enter into the Mosaic Covenant. As we saw a few Sundays back, it's not that this, this is not a cram down. God doesn't come in and cram the Mosaic Law down their throats. Don't think of the law as a punishment. The law is a great blessing. He didn't give the law to them as, as to, to castigate them, to, to discipline them. He gave it as a blessing, as an instruction. And the people agreed to it, as we saw a few Sundays back. They consented to it and ratified it. So Moses calls witnesses, to a, witnesses who observed the parties enter into the covenant and witnesses who can testify about violation of the treaty. Moses does the same thing in the next chapter. Thumb thumb over to chapter 31. Chapter 31, verse 28. Here Moses says, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will act corruptly and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. Moses here is warning them of the consequences of rejecting the covenant, the Mosaic covenant. He knows that a time will come when they will reject God and they will reject his law. That is the way it works. The reason we are a wicked culture, and let's just say it. Let's just say it. We are. We are a godless culture. I wish it wasn't true because I love my country. But I love my God more than I love my country. And the reason we are a godless culture, a wicked culture, is because we have rejected God. That's the way it works. It's a given. You reject God, you reject his ways. You reject God, you reject his standards. And so Moses here is warning the people. I call the witnesses, heaven and the heavens and earth, the witnesses who saw you enter into the treaty with God. And now I solemnly warn you, the, the solemnity of my warning is so significant that I call witnesses even for the warning. He calls the same witnesses. I warn you of the consequences of rejecting God. When you reject God, you will reject His law. And when you reject His law, you will engage in, what does it say in verse 29? The end of verse 29? Evil in the sight of the Lord. And you will provoke Him to anger with the work of your hands. The seriousness of the occasion of the warning demands witnesses. Then fast forward 800 years later, Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, roughly in the middle of the Bible. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. And as you turn there, let me just give you some context. 800 years, roughly, after Moses gave that solemn warning and called the witnesses who observed the Israelites entering into the treaty, the witnesses who observed the warning 
800 years later, the prophet Isaiah summons the same witnesses. He summons the witnesses, but this time not to testify about a warning in Isaiah chapter 1. Not to testify about a warning like Moses gave, but to testify about an indictment. An indictment because the people have rejected God, and therefore they have rejected his ways and his law. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, the prophet says, Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, there are the same witnesses. For Yahweh speaks, Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned Yahweh. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. Isaiah calls the same witnesses because these are the witnesses who have observed the violation of the treaty. So they testify against Israel for her evil in rejecting God, for her foolishness in being, there's really no other word to use, dumber than a donkey or an ox. I mean, that's what God's doing here. He's comparing them to a dumb animal, a donkey or an ox, because at least the donkey and the ox know their master, but you, Israel, are worse than them, because you don't even know your master. They know their master because their master feeds them, the donkey and the ox. But you don't know me, though I feed you and provide for you and protect you. This is a great indictment. And the prophet calls the witnesses to issue forth the indictment because the witnesses have seen Israel breach the treaty. Then we get... That, that, that's the fifth element of the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. That's the witnesses. Now we get to the final element of the Suzerain Vassal Treaty, which are the blessings for following the treaty, for being faithful in the treaty, the blessings, and the curses for violating the treaty. The ancients called on their pagan gods for blessings and curses under a Suzerain Vassal Treaty. Blessing was called for the party who was faithful to the treaty, and curses were called for the party who violated the treaty. The Mosaic Law contains this same pattern, but of course there is no recognition of the worthless pagan gods that the pagan kings called on in their suzerain vassal treaties. Luke 26, not Luke, Leviticus 26, excuse me. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 reflect the suzerain vassal pattern for blessings and curses. We don't have time to look at both of those, so we're only going to look at Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, which lays out in great detail the blessings and the curses. In Deuteronomy 28, we will see the conditional nature of the Mosaic Covenant. You know, we've studied how the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional and the Mosaic covenant is conditional. Conditional means one, party, one party's obligation is conditioned on the other party's obligation and each party has 
conditions. In the Abrahamic covenant, all the conditions are on God. And the evidence of that is the great ritual, the, 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 the symbol that God used in Genesis 15 where God had Abraham. The, the, normally the tradition, this is just by way of review, normally the tradition in entering into a treaty would be the, the, the two parties to a treaty. The two leaders would they'd take animals and they'd kill the animals and they'd cut the animals in half and they'd put one half of the animal on one side and the other half of the animal on the other side and the two men would hold hands and walk through the two animals. But remember in Genesis 15, it's different because in Genesis 15, it's God who walks through the, the carcasses and Abraham sleeps. Because the Abrahamic covenant is different than the Mosaic covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, all the obligations are on God. All the responsibilities are on God. They're not conditioned on anything from Abraham. The Mosaic covenant is different. And we'll see this in Deuteronomy 28. The Mosaic covenant is God saying, If you do X, I will do Y. If you do A, I will do B. To summarize it, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you disobey me, I will curse you. Now that promise of obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings cursing, that promise applies to all nations. It applies to you and it applies to me in general. But for Israel, the Mosaic covenant, the conditional Mosaic covenant, if you, bless, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you, is specific. It's unique. Because the blessings that God gives to Israel are unique to them. And same for the curses. Right? The promise of the land, for example, the land of promise, which is a specific piece of real estate. Remember the Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, and blessing. The way, the, the way Israel enjoys the blessing and the land, which we will see this morning, is through the Mosaic Covenant. It's a specific piece of land that has not been promised to any nation, any other nation. It hasn't been promised to the Palestinians. It hasn't been promised to the Arabs or to the Persians in Iran. It hasn't been promised to us, to the Ottoman Empire before the current period, to the Brits before the current period. It's been promised to Israel and to Israel alone. My point is the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant for obedience are specific and unique to the nation of Israel, as are the cursings. And this is what will unfold in detail in Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28 has a laundry list of blessings if the people will obey. Prosperity, good family life, bountiful crops, bountiful livestock, military victory, and many other blessings. But if they disobey, then there is a laundry list of cursings. Adversity, drought, mental suffering, indebtedness, military defeat, and finally God will drive them from the land. Let's begin with verse 1 of Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God. This is Moses writing this. 
being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now here come the blessings, the specific blessings. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. There's the conditional nature of the covenant. It's an if clause. It's an if then. If this happens, then that will happen. If you obey me, I will bless you. Keep reading in verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall, the, shall be the offspring of your body. This isn't just blessing of large families, which was a big deal in, in that era, in, a, in an agricultural era. This is blessing of the family unit. This isn't just, we're going to have nine kids, and all nine kids are going to be a disaster, and the nine kids are going to hate the parents, and the nine kids are going to be terrible. That's not this blessing. This is, you're going to have nine kids, and it's going to be sweet. That family unit is going to be blessed and provided for by God and nurtured, and it's going to be tight and close. Something that escapes us in America. Something that we used to have in America. But sadly, our families are often cursed and not blessed. And the cursing is passed down from grandparent to parent child in America because we've rejected God. This is a blessing. Now, now, I'm not saying we're Israel. I'll be crystal clear about that. I'm not saying we're Israel. But we see patterns in the Scripture that do apply to Gentile nations. And the concept of God blessing a family here is a tight-knit, close family. That's a blessing. And my point is there's a reason why often families in our culture do not have that is because we're disinterested in God. Keep reading in verse 4. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the pro- produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. This is blessed fields and blessed productive herds. Verse 5. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. This is blessed kitchens. This is an abundance of food. Verse 6. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. In other words, wherever you go, you're going to carry your luggage of blessing. That's just what is going to be tied to you. You know, some people say, oh, I got this baggage. And when we say baggage, we're like, eh, baggage. No, no, no. This is baggage of blessing. Wherever you go, you go out, blessing. You come in, blessing. We underestimate the breadth of God's blessing. Every day. Every day. Look at verse 7. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. You get the picture, right? The enemy comes in a column, and then the enemy scatters in seven different directions. This is just the enemy running off. You know, like, like, like the Texan army at the Battle of San Jacinto, where the Tex, or they call themselves Texicans, where the Texicans were screaming, Remember the Alamo! Remember Goliad! And they caught the, the Mexican army during a siesta. 
Right in there, and then the Mexican army's running. Mino Alamo, Mino Alamo. I wasn't there. I mean, I'm just quoting history here, right? That's the image here of the enemy army being scattered in seven different directions. Verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Jump to verse 11. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your beast and in the produce of your ground in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's the swearing of the land to the fathers? That's the Abrahamic covenant. Land, seed, and blessing. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. God gave it to Abraham. Then he repeated it to Abraham's son Isaac. Then he repeated the covenant, Abrahamic covenant, again to his grandson Jacob. Some people refer to the land part of the covenant as the Palestinian covenant because it applies to the land of Palestine. Palestine is, is, is an old way of saying the land of the Palestine. The land, literally, it means the land of the Philistines. And the Palestinian covenant really is a reference to the land part of the Abrahamic covenant that is enjoyed by the Israelites under the Mosaic covenant. It gets kind of, I want you to stick with me here. Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. Abrahamic covenant is eternal. Abrahamic covenant is unilateral. Mosaic covenant is conditional, bilateral, two parties. Both parties have obligations. Abrahamic covenant, land, seed, and blessing, eternal promises from God. But the way the Israelites would enjoy the land, seed, and blessing is through the obedience of the Mosaic covenant. And so the way that they would enjoy the land of promise that God promised to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants is through the obedience of the Mosaic Covenant. And so some people refer to the Palestinian Covenant being the land part of the promise. I treat the Palestinian Covenant as just a subset of the Abrahamic Covenant because land, seed, and blessing are, part, are, the, are the elements of the, land, of the Abrahamic covenant. So what, what, what I want to be clear on here is God has promised the land to Israel forever as an everlasting covenant. So I think in some way the new earth is going to have the land. I don't know exactly how that works, I think somehow the new earth is going to have the land because it's an everlasting covenant, land, seed, and blessing. The way the Israelites enjoy the land is through the Mosaic covenant. It's through the obedience of the Mosaic covenant. These, these two things interconnect, even though they're separate covenants. Let's keep reading in verse 12. The Lord will open for you His good storehouse, the heavens to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. 
this is a huge, huge, huge financial blessing. They're going to be the bankers, is what it's saying. In any big transaction, the big dog is the banker. It's not the lawyer. The lawyer's not the big dog in the big transaction. It's not the CEO in the big transaction. It's not the financial advisor in the big transaction. It's the banker. He's the money guy. He shows up with his money truck. No money, no deal. No money, no transaction. And so this is this huge blessing that God is giving in the Mosaic Covenant, in the laundry list of blessings that come for obedience. It's that the Israelites will be the bankers. They'll be the lenders as opposed to the debtors. Verse 13, The Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you only will be above, and you will not be underneath, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully. And do not turn aside from any of the the words which I command you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. We see another if clause here. So we, we, we observe the conditional nature of the covenant again here in verse 13, because it's an if you listen to these commandments, you're going to receive all these blessings. Then we get a shift. We get a, we get a significant shift in verse 15, because verse 15 begins the curses. Verse 15 reverses all the blessings. The language of the blessings are inverted now. They're the the total opposite. Excuse me, the language of the the curses uh, invert and reverse the language of the blessings. As we go through the following verses, the rest of the verses here in our study of Deuteronomy 28, the discipline will gradually intensify. God's not going to immediately drop the hammer because God is merciful. The reason God doesn't destroy our nation, though we have engaged in great wickedness and we don't just tolerate it, we promote it. The reason God hasn't dropped the hammer on us is because he's merciful. He gives more time, more time. We mock him and he gives more time, more time to repent. This is the pattern of a merciful God, and we see it here with Israel because the curses that will unfold, as we'll observe just in a moment, they gradually intensify. They're warning discipline. God issues warning discipline, and the people blow them off. So he issues more warning discipline, and the people blow them off. So he issues more warning and more warning. And more warning. And then finally, the final act of discipline is that God rips the people from their land, from the land of promise, and he scatters them among the nations. Verse 15. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you, Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground. 
the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. We see two things here in this, these first few verses of the curses. Number one, the blessings are flipped on their head. They're just, the language is just reversed in the total opposite direction. And number two, we see that the, these curses are internal to Israel. These are warning discipline. This is warning discipline to, to Israel. These verses, these verses are curses of discipline for the Israelites within the nation. But as they go along, then the discipline expands to outside the nation. It, it will wrap in outside forces. Look at verse 20. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. That's what happens. We forsake God. We become evil. That's the formula. You pursue God, then you pursue holiness. And your life is characterized by holiness. I'm not saying perfection or sinless, but holiness. You pursue God, your life is characterized by holiness. You reject God, your life is characterized by evil. This is not complicated. It's simple. We make it complicated in our, in our pride, in our arrogance, and in our stubbornness. Jump down to verse 23. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you iron. This is describing extreme heat and drought. Rain will be so scarce, this curse is a description of rain being so scarce that it will seem like the sky and the ground are metallic. Like you can't even excavate anything. You can't dig anything in the ground because it seems like it's a metal, an iron. Skip to verse 25. This is where the discipline intensifies to outside forces, invading armies coming into Israel. The Lord shall cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them. You see, this is the exact opposite. It's, the, it's inverted. Instead of the enemy running out in seven different directions in chaos, you're going to run out in seven different directions, Israelite troops. Keep reading in verse 25. And you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Jump to verse 28. The Lord will smite you with madness and with the blindness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. This is a serious cursing because this cursing, <clears throat> excuse me, isn't just in the physical realm. God's discipline is not just in the physical realm. It starts with that. If I could use a street term, God messes with your head. When you don't respond to the, to the discipline in the physical realm, then God brings it into the metaphysical realm, into the immaterial realm. He brings mental discipline. As we've seen on Wednesday night, this is why we have a mental health crisis in America, because we have rejected God and He is Knocking on the door. 
It's an act of mercy that he disciplines us. That he doesn't immediately drop the hammer. But the mercy involves painful discipline. We underestimate God every day. We underestimate his blessing and we underestimate the scope and breadth and power of his discipline. Jump to verse 36. The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. This first happened with the northern kingdom with the Assyrian conquest in 722 B.C. And then it happened with the southern kingdom with the Babylonian conquest of Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Keep reading in verse 37. You shall become a horror, a proverb, and a taunt among all the people where the Lord drives you. Instead of you being above all the nations, verse 13, that great blessing, you will be below all the nations. You will be a proverb of woe. Israel, ah! This is the description of curses, of cursing that God will bring upon his people. This is the sixth element of the Suzerain Vassal Treaty. Blessings for obedience, for faithfulness, and curses for disobedience. What's happening here is God is intensifying the discipline. He's intensifying the curses because they won't respond to the warning discipline, to the initial ones. So he brings outside forces to intensify. Jump down to verse 43. The alien who is among you shall rise above you higher and higher, but you will go down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. Again, this is reversal of the blessing language. Verse 45. So all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded you. Again, we see the conditional nature of the Mosaic Covenant. Disobedience brings divine punishment. Obedience brings divine blessing. Jump down to verse 49. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down. Elsewhere in Scripture, like Habakkuk 1.8, the Babylonian Empire is described as an eagle. Keep reading. A nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old nor show favor to the young. Today we have the Geneva Convention, right? You're to treat your prisoners a particular way. The ancients would have laughed at a Geneva Convention. The ancients brutalized their prisoners, whether they were POW soldier prisoners, or whether they were non-combatants. The ancients brutalized and terrorized those whom they conquered, whether it was the Assyrians or the Babylonians, either one. And this is the cursing that is being described here in verse 50. Look at verse 51. Moreover, it, the it here is the, this nation that is being referred to, it's Babylon, Moreover, Babylon shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed. Who also leaves you no grain, no, no grain, new wine or oil, nor the increase of your herd or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. 
It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Ultimately, this is a description of King Nebuchadnezzar's siege and destruction of Jerusalem. Israel trusted in her walled cities when they should have trusted in her God. They misplaced their trust. They misplaced their faith. And that misplaced faith drew them into disobedience. Verse 53, this is where it gets increasingly gross. Verse 53, Then you shall eat the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you. The Babylonian siege of the city of Jerusalem was so brutal that a time came that in their desperation for food, because they, the Babylonians squeezed them and squeezed off their food supply, squeezed them so much that they starved inside the city walls, and so ultimately they resorted to cannibalism. God is intensifying the cursing and the discipline in a most gruesome way. Look at verse 54. The man who is refined and very delicate among you shall be hostile towards his brother and toward the wife he cherishes, cherishes and toward the rest of his children who remain, so that he will not give even one of them any of the flesh of his children, which he will eat, since he has nothing else left. During the siege and the distress which your enemy will oppress you in all your towns, the refined and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground for delicateness and refinement shall be hostile toward the husband she cherishes, cherishes and toward the son, her son and daughter. Verse 57. And toward her afterbirth which issues forth from between her legs and toward her children whom she bears for she will eat them secretly for lack of anything else during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you in your towns, if you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God. Here again we see an if clause. We see the conditional nature of the Mosaic Covenant. Jump down to verse 63. It shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. This is the final dropping of the hammer, the most intense of all of the disciplines to rip them from their land. Having refused to repent after warning discipline and 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 warning discipline discipline, over and over and over, God finally imposes the final act of discipline of ripping them from their land and scattering them among the nations. The reference to the land here, of course, takes us back to the Abrahamic covenants. There's the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. The way they enjoy and receive the blessing of the land promised in the Abrahamic covenant is through the obedience of the Mosaic covenant. Disobedience 
brings suffering. Obedience brings enjoyment in the land. Disobedience brings suffering in the land. And ultimately, disobedience brings removal from the land. The sixth element of the Suzerain Vassal Treaty of blessings, blessings and Curses is what explains the history of Israel. Even today, even in the year 2023, her history is tied to either obedience or disobedience to God. This is what explains Israel's many cycles of prosperity and suffering, abundance and famine, military success and military defeat, blessings and curses. Jesus' words in Luke 19 fulfill this final dropping of the hammer. Please turn to Luke 19. Luke 19, verse 41. This is Palm Sunday, five days before Jesus would be crucified. Luke 19, verse 41 reads like this. When he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace. Remember, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6. He offered peace to Israel by coming as her Messiah and coming to offer her the promised kingdom. But the nation rejected him. The nation hated him. And ultimately, they killed him. This is what you call disobedience. This is disobedience to the maximum. You don't get any more disobedient than killing Yahweh in the flesh. That's the maximum amount of disobedience against Yahweh. Knowing that they had rejected him, Jesus spoke these words of final discipline. Keep reading in verse 42. But now they, they here are the things of peace. But now the things of peace have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade. That's the Greek word karats. Karats means a mound, a mound that is built for military purposes for a siege. Think of it as an embankment. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up an embankment, a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave <clears throat> in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. As the extreme act of disobedience, Israel rejected her Messiah, rejected Yahweh in the flesh. So God judged them with a Deuteronomy 28, verses 63 and 64 judgment. He tore them from the land and he scattered them to the four winds. In A.D. 70, the Roman general Titus, who would later become an emperor, the Roman general Titus destroyed Jerusalem and his 10th Roman legion. Three years later, after, they, after a long siege of the mountain fortress Masada, what did they do? They built an embankment. They fulfilled Jesus' prophecy from 40 years earlier. They built the embankment and so in A.D. 73, when the 10th Roman legion pierced the wall of the fortress at Masada, they were dead. The, the, the Israelites all committed suicide inside the, the walls of the city. 
This was fulfillment of Jesus' words. What the Romans did is they destroyed Jerusalem, A.D. 70, and even into A.D. 73 when they finally took Masada. They destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple, and then they scattered them. There would be another rebellion in, in the early part of the, of, of the next century there in, in Israel. But the Romans fulfilled Jesus' words, and they fulfilled Moses' words from 1,500 years earlier. The Romans were the vessel. They were the vehicle that God used to finally drop the hammer of scattering them among the nations and ripping them from their land. As we close this morning, this is where it stands today. This is the status quo. That status quo was established by the Romans in A.D. 70 and even into the, to, to the early part of the second century. That is the status quo that has existed for roughly 2,000 years. But because the land, seed, and blessing parts of the Abrahamic covenant are unconditional, a time is coming when Israel will be restored to her land. That's when she repents. One last verse before we close this morning. Please turn back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 will show us that God fulfills the covenant to Abraham. That the covenant is everlasting. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. That's the status quo. That's the year 2023. Verse 2. And you return to the Lord your God, And obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. This is repentance. This is is the Mosaic Covenant. If you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Well, obedience involves repentance. It involves turning back to God. And so here, this act of obedience from the people. Look at verse 3. Then the Lord your God, if you will do that, if you return to him, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, which they are today in 2023, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. This is the promise that some have calculated is the most frequent promise in all of the Bible. It's the regathering. The regathering of Israel. The regathering in belief. A day is coming where God will restore Israel to her land. This will happen at the second advent. But notice it will happen when Israel obeys. Because she will obey. It's when she repents. She will change her mind about her Messiah whom she killed. She will repent and turn back to him. And that will happen at the second advent. And that is when Deuteronomy 30 verses 1 through 6 will be fulfilled. When Yahweh in the flesh, who, who currently sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, when he returns and plants his feet back in Jerusalem one last time. 
This is the suzerain vassal treaty. This is the sixth element. Blesses, blessings and curses. It will finally end with blessings. Let's close in prayer. Father, we praise you. We praise you because you make promises and you fulfilled them. We praise you because you have established your word and your word will not go forth without accomplishing its purpose. We praise you because you are an awesome God. We praise you because you are a God to be feared. We praise you because you are a God to be respected. We praise you because you bless and we even praise you because you discipline. We ask that you open our eyes to see when you're disciplining us that we would recognize it and repent and change our mind and return back to you as Israel is to do. We praise you for what you are doing through Israel. We praise you for what you are currently doing through the church, though Israel is temporarily set aside. We praise you for what you will do with Israel when you return and she repents to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.